Good morning. Look out over the crowd. As, as always, we have visitors with us this morning. We're especially glad you made your way here, and we look forward to seeing you again. And we hope that you'll stick around and let us get to know you and get to meet you and invite you back in any opportunity you have. If you are visiting, you will be honored guests at our lunch immediately following our worship this morning. And uh, don't uh, worry that you didn't bring anything. I can almost guarantee there'll be plenty. If you are visiting first time, you, I will tell you I'm not the regular pulpit minister here. Uh, Brother Joel Danley uh, serves in this position and does a great job. I don't think he's a prophet, but he told us last week that after a week of Bible camp, that his voice would be gone. And I, if you've talked to him this morning, you know that that's the case. And uh, he asked us to fill in for him today, myself this morning, and Brother Brian Sorello this afternoon, Lord willing. hope that you'll be back at 1.30 uh, for that as well. I don't know about Hannah. I don't know. I hadn't talked to her about her voice or not, but uh, she says it's okay. Today, we want to talk for a moment about a biblical concept that I think is uh, oftentimes misused, misunderstood, as many are uh, in our world today religiously. Concept of grace. And, uh, you know, we oftentimes have discussions with our religious friends and family and other times and uh, we see that uh, oftentimes there is misunderstanding and the word grace here uh, or references to it incidentally is found over 160 times in both the old and new testament uh, in the bible there grace is a biblical concept that we oftentimes uh, see under misunderstood we hear it used somewhat flippantly, I'm afraid, by our friends who only really have a superficial understanding and concept of God's amazing grace. I've entitled this lesson this morning, Grace Has a Face. As we develop this, this uh, lesson, I hope that it will become clear that grace, uh, God's grace is personified. We'll talk, make more about that in our conclusion in a moment, but grace of God is personified, it's manifest, if you will, through Jesus Christ, and we'll develop that point further as we go along, but we want to talk about, look at, look at grace um, in a biblical context this morning. This title, this phraseology, Grace as a Face, I attribute to a John Shannon Sr. Um, he preaches for the uh, James Road Congregation over in Memphis. Brother Joe and I listen and watch, and maybe you do as well on GBN and other places, Brother John Shannon, very uh, well-spoken, studied gospel preacher, and we gain a lot from him. As he was uh, making a lesson uh, on this particular subject, and he, he approached Titus chapter uh, 3 there that we'll look at in our lesson this morning, he says, grace has a face. And I remembered that and jotted that down in my Bible in the margin there. And I, I, I thought to myself, as many of us who preach from time to time, there's a sermon in there somewhere. And we're thankful for that and for his work. The world's definition of grace, like a lot of things, is different than the grace we see in the Bible. My fear is because grace is a misunderstood and misused concept today that many sincere people are being led astray by not fully understanding what biblical grace is all about. This morning, let's examine 
uh, in our brief time together. We don't have time really to, to get in the very depths of, of, about what the Bible has to say about grace, but hopefully through our study together we can come away equipped with a better understanding ourselves and in turn be better equipped to teach others. There's point, three points that I put forth in this lesson this morning, and they, incidentally, they all begin with the letter D, as in, in uh, letter D is in David. The first point we want to look at together is grace defined. Grace defined. First, we want to think about how the religious world defines the grace of God. You know, you talk to folks religiously, and you'll, you'll come away. And I've heard it. You probably have heard it too. It's just poured out on mankind. One can't deny it. You can't do anything to get it, and you can't do anything to lose it. No matter what I do, God's grace is going to save me on the day of judgment. That's by and large many people's religiously definition of grace today, is it not? One can't deny it. I think that many of these uh, thoughts and ideas about God's grace have have their roots in what we call Calvinism. Uh, John Calvin, a theologian that lived uh, 1,500 years or so after Christ, many uh, tenets of his doctrine pervade either wholly or in part today what we consider to be modern mainline Protestant religions. And you know we've had lessons on this before that we use the, the acrostic TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, to outline the various tenets of Calvinism, the T there being total depravity, that we're born with Adam's sin, unconditional election for the U, limited atonement, irresistible grace for I, and perseverance of the saints, or in other words, once saved, always saved. Tenets of Calvinism, again, um, are, are find their uh, many teachings today, even in modern religion, find their roots there. No matter what I do, God's grace is going to save me in the end. Can't you see how popular, how comfortable that view of God's grace can be? I think so, right? Nothing I can do or have to do or anything like that. And that's a really an oversimplified, I think, way of looking at it. But still, I think we see many people holding that belief today. My family members, your family members and friends oftentimes profess those, those kind of thoughts. How do we in the church define the grace of God? If I, ask, if I went up and down the pews here, I would say, what is, what is grace? I'm sure everyone, at least most people, would say God's unmerited favor towards man. That's the kind of the canned definition that we use, isn't it? But what does that really tell us about grace? Does it really tell us anything about grace? I think we need to look a little deeper in Scripture and determine what the ingredients, what it's made up of when we consider grace. If you have your Bibles, turn over in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 2. And when you get there, you'll realize this is a, a very uh, well often used passage concerning grace and things of that nature. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, you'll notice this is an epistle or a letter of the Apostle Paul to Christians in the first century city of 
Ephesus. Notice I said Christians. These people had been, uh, had been obedient to the gospel, and the Lord had added to them to his church. If you'd like to mark in your Bible, I would invite you here. I'm going to give you some, some words uh, that you can, can underline and circle. I think will help us better understand this biblical concept of grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1 beginning. Paul there, the inspired writer, writes, And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4. I love this ne these next two words, but God. He contrasts where we came from to where we are. But God, who is rich in mercy. Underline that word, mercy. Because of his great love, underlying love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And he says there parenthetically, by grace, circle that word grace. By grace you've been saved and raised up us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding riches of his grace, circle that, in his kindness, underline kindness, toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, under, uh, circle grace, you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's through verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. God's grace... There, we circle that three times. We underline mercy in verse 4. We underline love in verse 4. Underline kindness in verse 7. Let's think about these words here for a moment. Mercy. Mercy is more than sympathy. You know, it's easy oftentimes for us to have sympathy for folks in their difficulties and struggles, isn't it? And that's really where it stops. But mercy is more than sympathy. It carries with it the, con the, 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 feel, the concept of feeling with. Feeling with. And in context of God's grace, God, or God's mercy, God feeling with us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Be merciful as your heavenly Father is also merciful. How about the word love? Love is desiring what's best for the one loved. You know, love in the, in the Greek uh, had, I think, at least three different interpretations, different words that were used. The word that's used here is agape. Feeling, God feeling for me. So we talk about mercy feeling with, love feeling for, kindness extended to man, God feeling toward me, God feeling with, God feeling uh, for, and God feeling toward. 
Could it, be, could it not be said then that grace is God's mercy, love, and kindness towards man? I think so. Point number two in our lesson, after we've defined grace, let's look at grace demonstrated. A perfect example or demonstration of grace comes through Jesus Christ. In the life of Christ, let's look over in uh, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. Verses 4 through 7. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7. And I want you to try to notice some of the words we've talked about already. Paul there, the inspired writer, writes, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his, there's our word, grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Did you notice the words there? Kindness, love, mercy, and grace, all in that passage. John 1 in verse 14 talks about Jesus, how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And there in verse 14, John the inspired writer says, He was full of grace and truth. Jesus was the personification of grace, God's kindness, God's love, and God's mercy toward man. We don't take the time to turn to each one, but if you could put in your notes examples in the life of Jesus. Incidentally, these will be found in each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in chapter 8 of each of those Gospels. Matthew 8, verse 1, beginning, we see Jesus heals a leper. Mark 8, verse 22 and following, a blind man is healed. Luke 8, a demon-possessed man is healed. And a familiar one in John 8, the woman caught in adultery and Jesus dealing with her. In all these cases, we see Jesus feeling with, for, and toward others. You know, I listened to uh, several different lessons on this subject of grace, and I would, in, I would um, submit for your own private study go uh, into these online uh, PTP 365 or Gospel Broadcasting Network, World Video Bible School. All of these have great biblical lessons on a lot of different topics, grace being one. I, I looked at one, Brother Don Blackwell talked about this, and he said grace, God's grace is more than passive pity. God's grace is more than passive pity. God's grace is operative. It does something. It's active. God's grace is demonstrated or exhibited through the life of Christ. John 1 and verse 17. So we see grace defined, grace demonstrated. Point number three in our lesson. You may have to change that, Heath. 
grace demands doing. And I will submit to you, I was trying to keep with the D theme, and I had to really make this one up. Doesn't necessarily make good English grammar, but I think it gets the point across. It demands doing. In contrast to what the religious world teaches about grace, man does have an obligation in order to be a beneficiary of God's grace. You know, it's hard to, to discuss biblical grace without also working in faith and works. Time doesn't permit this morning for us to full uh, exegesis of, of those concepts, but we know that faith, Hebrews 11:6, or belief, without faith, the Hebrew writer said, it's impossible to please God. So we have to have faith. How about works? You know, works get beat up a lot in the religious world today. Someone has convinced folks that baptism is a work. I would submit for our thinking, baptism really is the only one of the steps of, the, of what we call salvation that is done to you, something you submit to. It's not something you do. Just file that away in your mind. There are different types of works mentioned in the New Testament. There's works of the law, the works of the law of Moses that do not save. There are works of personal merit that do not save. But there are works of obedience that save us. You know, it's always been that way, if you think about it. God has always required man to work. God has always required some obligation for man to uh, be a beneficiary of God's blessings. It's always been obedience to his word. Whatever his word was at, at the dispensation under which you lived, if it's a patriarchal age, if it was the Mosaic age, if it's now the Christian age, God has not left us alone in terms of instructions. James 2 and 21 says, uh, without works, our, it's, our faith is dead. We have to be active in those works of obedience. Let's think for a moment about God's grace in man's salvation. Many teach there that the passage we, went, we started with, Ephesians 2.8, where it says, by, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Many people hang their hat on that first piece of that verse there to teach that man really has nothing to do in his salvation. Let's look here. I put this, I'm not a mathematician. I don't really like math. Maybe you do. I hope that's good. Put it in the form of a mathematical equation here. Two parts to, grace, to uh, salvation. God's part or the divine part which is grace, man's part, or the human part, obedience. When both of those come together and are fulfilled, you get the results you desire, salvation. You mathematicians know that if you remove either one of those sides of that equation, it's no longer applicable. We need to think about that. The human side, active faith. Active faith does what? It obeys. Again, James 2.26, faith without works is dead. Not works of the law, not works of merit, but works of obedience to God's instruction. Let's ask a very practical question. How does grace work? Let's go back to the Old Testament. Very first book, Genesis. 
the first time we see the word grace is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. I would submit for our thinking that's not the first concept or not the first reference to grace. I think we see grace on part of Adam and Eve. We see God's grace on part of Cain and others there. But you know, you remember from our study that what was going on in the world in Genesis chapter 6, God regretted that he'd made man because of the evil and the wickedness that had pervaded the world and all men's minds were only on evil continuously. He determined he would destroy the world. But verse 8 of chapter 6 of Genesis says what? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Let's consider for a moment what did grace do for Noah? Turn forward to chapter or 6, continue there in chapter 6 and look at verse 22. It told him how to be saved. God's grace told Noah how to be saved. And in verse 22 there it says, Thus did Noah all that God commanded him, so did he. So what did Noah do? We know what he did. But I thought Noah was saved by grace, our friends would tell us today. If you are under grace, there's nothing you have to do, nothing you can do. If that line of reasoning is accurate, why did Noah go to all the effort, all those years he spent in building the ark, all the ridicule from his neighbors and all those things? Look at Hebrews chapter 11. You know the passage, Faith's Hall of Fame. There's a man named Noah mentioned here. Let's see what it says about him. Hebrews 11, verse 7. And again, I would invite you, if you'd like to mark in your Bible, I'll give you some words to underline. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, underline that, by faith. Noah, being divinely warned, underline that, of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, Underline, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. You notice the highlighted words there in a different color. You can underline. Noah was saved by grace, faith, and works just like us. By faith, Hebrew writer tells us that. Divinely warned, there's God's grace. Prepared an ark, there's Noah's works. Those things all work together in Noah's salvation. People were always saved this way. Really think about it. As we draw this to a close, I hope you'll see that we try to make it as simple as we can in terms of God's grace because I think it's that important. Let's look as we uh, wrap this up. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Grace has a face. Verse 11. 2.11 Titus For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness 
and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Is grace available to all? Absolutely, yes. Does grace bring salvation? Absolutely, yes. Go back to our math equation. If you take grace out of the picture, you don't get what you want. Grace also places demands on mankind in the way we should act and live because of God's mercy, God's love, and his kindness to us. You know, the grace of God that saves man was extended through the death of Jesus. Brother Gabe mentioned that this morning in our Lord's Supper. It was active grace. We accept that grace and we're saved by it when, by faith, we obey the gospel. I would remind us that active faith is saving faith. What we believe about grace matters because how we obtain salvation and live for God matters. Apostle Paul, inspired writer, 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8 says, There's coming a day when God will take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we bring our lesson to a close, we always extend heaven's invitation. This word, or this phrase is thought about obey the gospel. How about obedient faith today? The Bible tells us that we need to hear Romans 10, 17, hear the word of God. Believe the word of God, Mark 16, 16. Repent of our sins, that means change our mind, change our life, change our action towards sin. Acts 2 and verse 38, confess the wonderful name of Christ before men, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Be baptized in water, meeting the cleansing blood that washes away our sin, 1 Peter 3, 21. Incidentally, 1 Peter 3, 21 also mentions Noah, doesn't it? It says there the like figure that saved Noah also saves us. Baptism. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. You know something? When we as humans realize that our sin has separated us from God, what do we want? We want a clean conscience, don't we? And that's how we get it. 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. You may be here this morning and haven't obeyed the gospel. Now's a perfect opportunity to, to couple God's grace with your obedience. Be baptized in water, meeting the cleansing blood that takes away sins. God will add you to his church. Could be in times past you've done those things, but you've allowed sin to come back into your life and take, take hold. God doesn't leave us in that state. He gives us opportunity, again, through the shed blood of Christ to be forgiven. If we're willing to repent of those things, if it's public in nature, it needs to be taken care of that way. If it's private, pray to God and ask him to forgive you. He is faithful and just to do that. We extend this invitation for anyone who has a need. If you would come as we stand and as we sing.